uh, starting at verse 12 through 26. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world is, uh, has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Gav. Good to have you here today with us. Uh, let me pray before we uh, look at God's word. Lord, we want to thank you uh, that your word is living and active, uh, sharper than any double-edged sword, and that uh, you will speak to us today. We know that you will, as your word is taught faithfully. Lord, I pray for us today here that we would have hearts and minds that are ready, that are undistracted, uh, that uh, we can just hear your voice and hear the call in our lives to follow you. Uh, Father, for some of us here, we've been in church for years. Maybe we just we haven't followed you. Or for those who are feeling cold or distant, who are considering is it worth following you, we want to pray, Lord, that you would, you would speak to us today, that you would revive our souls. I want to pray that you would use me as your faithful servant just to speak truth help us, and help, help me to just show us all the glory of, of you, Jesus. Amen. Now today, uh, and for the next little while, we're thinking about this word, follow. Uh, for the next six weeks, we're going to journey through the second half of Jesus' life in the book of John, and we're thinking, as I said, about this word of what it means to follow. And as uh, I think, as Rob said before, when it comes to this word follow, we can think about you know um, uh, social media, and you can follow people, which means you get notifications when you like when their posts come up, and um, when you're following someone on social social media, it's more that you are you are interested in uh, who they are, or you're a fan of them. But I think in, the, in, in, in the, the, the real sense of the word, to be a follower is more than simply an interest in someone. It's more to it. Let me try to illustrate this with uh, my, my great love, sport. Um, as you know, I love, I love sport. Um, I have my chosen teams that I, that I follow very, very closely that I'm passionate about. Uh, just recently, 
the rugby team that I follow, the Waratahs, were playing at the uh, Sydney, Cricket, uh, Sydney Cricket Ground. Uh, and uh, someone kindly here from church gave me some tickets to go and see them play. And so a few of us from church went, and I brought my son Jet with me as well. And it was great. We had a great time watching the game, and we saw all the players out there. And I loved introducing my son uh, to the game of rugby union um, and pointing out uh, how to be a true follower of the Waratahs. Unfortunately, we went, uh, one, of the, one of their best players, and the players that a player that Jet and I love to, to watch, Israel Folau, wasn't, wasn't playing that day. And so we were watching the game, and then all of a sudden we spotted where he was sitting in the crowd. And uh, so Jet and I thought, well, let's go and try and get a closer look. And so we left the game, and we walked sort of around the back of the stadium and tried to get close to where, where Izzy was actually sitting. And so we could try and even uh, speak to him. We knew that he was a follower of Jesus, and so we thought we'll try and you know, connect, connect on that level, right? Just a brother in Christ, let's just be friends, and so see how that goes down. Anyway, uh, we went over, but we, we still couldn't get close enough uh, to see him. Anyway, so we walked around the back of the stadium, and we were standing there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Israel Folau comes towards us. And it's just me and Jet Israel coming towards us. I think, thank you, Lord, like, this is a moment, right, for the brothers to connect. Anyway, uh, he, was, uh, he was on his phone, so I thought, I can't drop him on his phone, so he walked past us on his phone, and so what did we do? We just followed him. Like, we literally just followed, walked behind him, it was just really close, and just following as he's walking along, just hoping that he'd get off his phone, and then once he could, we could have a chat. But unfortunately, he didn't. We followed him or stalked him for a little while. And uh, um, he was probably on the phone calling the police saying, people are following me, stalking me, but I don't know. But, uh, but, but uh, I, see, I, I'm a follower of the Waratah, so I knew who he was. I knew that he was a Christian, and uh, we wanted to chat to him. Uh, often when I'm out with Katie, we'll be out, and I'll say, oh, there's so-and-so from that sports team. And it happens regularly, and she has no idea who I'm talking about. And she often says, how do you know that? How, how do you know who these people are? Well, it's that I'm not just a fan who has a vague interest in my, in my teams. I'm a follower of my teams. I know, uh, I know who plays in the teams. I know their name. I know how my teams are going. I, I watch their games. I follow their results. I know where they sit in the ladder. I'm committed. I'm not a fair-weather fan who comes and goes. I ride the highs and the lows. I'm a committed follower of my teams. A true follower is committed. Uh, and it takes effort to be a follower. There's a difference between being a fan and being a follower of someone or something. As I said, for the second half of the book of John, we're looking at what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus. Not a fan or fair with a fan, but a follower of Jesus. And in the second half of John, we're going to see this. In the second half of John, there is the 1221. There are no more signs, no more miracles as there were in chapters uh, 1 to 11. In fact, Jesus now almost retreats from the crowds after chapter 12, and he just retreats and he moves in, inwards almost just to his 12 disciples. And in the remaining chapters, he's going to sit with his disciples and he's going to call them and prepare them to be followers of him. He's going to lay out what it looks like to be a true disciple, a true follower of him. He's going to get their, their expectations right as they follow him in a hostile world. And he's going to equip them to be followers of him by giving them the Holy Spirit. And these are the last words that Jesus is going to say before he dies and rises again and goes back to glory. And he's going to, he's going to get his followers ready. And I think these last words that he says to his disciples have so much to say to us today. See, if you're here and you're still checking out 
Jesus and where you stand with him. And I want to say, that's so great that you're here. For the next six weeks, you're going to hear about what it means to be truly a follower of Jesus, what it's like. And our hope is, as you hear this, that you too want to follow the one who offers you life. If you're here this morning at church and you're feeling distant and not really sure where you stand with Jesus and have for a while, and maybe you aren't sure whether you want to keep following him or not, in the back half of the book of John, Jesus is going to clearly point out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's going to show you why it's worth following. He's going to show you why, uh, what is at stake when you do follow him or don't follow him. And I believe in the second half of John, Jesus is going to helpfully assure some of us that we are followers. And he's going to help others of us to ask questions of ourselves. And to ask questions of, are we following him? Am I a true follower of him? And I want to say, as we look at this question of, am I a follower? I want to say there is no more important question than you can ask yourself than this question. Because it has consequences for eternity. This question of, am I a follower of Jesus, is the most important question you can ask yourself. For those of us who are doing well, and you're here, and I want to say this question of, am I a follower of Jesus, is going to help us and challenge us to keep us going forward. I think being a follower of Jesus is not just a one-time thing, it's an ongoing journey of walking with Him day by day, assessing our lives, and growing out in discipleship, and being a true follower who goes then and goes and makes followers as well. This is what we're going to look at for the next sort of chunk of, of time here at City Light as we look at the second half of John. And I believe as a church, it's what we need to hear. It's the question we need to ask all of ourselves, are we followers of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? So as we jump into John 12 uh, today, we're going to look at this question, am I a follower of Jesus? But I wonder if you ever actually asked yourself that question. And what does it mean? What does it mean for you? Or what does Jesus mean when he says, I, I follow me? We read it time and time again when Jesus meets people, follow me. What does he mean by that? Well, I want to walk through John 12 and show you. I'm going to have three points to navigate uh, this. First one is, who do we follow? Second one is, is he worth following? And the third one is, how do we follow him? Who do we follow? Is he worth following? And how do we follow him? I'm going to start with, uh, who do we follow? When I begin with this question is because uh, if you don't know who you're following, there's no point in following them. So we've got to be sure of who we're following. Let me take you to the book of John, John 12, and I'll uh, show you this. Uh, a bit of context, though, because we've, we've jumped in from chapters 1 to 11. We've taken a three-week break. We're back in again. Uh, chapters 1 to 11 were more about Jesus' identity. With the book of signs, as it's called. John, uh, uh, Jesus did uh, seven miracles or seven signs in the first, uh, the first 11 chapters, really showing who he is. And I remember the, the, the seven miracles. Call out if you know one. Crap temptation. Here we go. Come on. Give me one. Water and wine. Good. Yep. Yep. Lazarus. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> gruffly man there. Appreciate that. Yeah, we've got water the wine, walking in the water, healing the lame man, feeding the, uh, healing his official son, feeding the 5,000, healing the blind men, and raising Lazarus. Seven signs, the seven signs of John. And then once Jesus does these signs, he then interprets them and points to who he is. So the first 11 chapters, Jesus revealing his identity as, as John 20, 31 says, as the Christ, the Son of God. So as you see him, you might believe in his name and have life. 
first 11 chapters, that's what it's all about. Now we reach chapter 12, and in chapter 12, there's a turning point in the book. It turns. There are no more signs, no more miracles. Now for Jesus, what his focus becomes is, he's focused towards the cross. That's where he's heading. He talks about this idea in the first half of, my time has not yet come. Now he says, my time has come. My time is now here, my hour is now here. And he's heading towards the cross to reveal God's glory, who God is. The second half of the book is called the book of glory. It's all about Jesus' death on the cross, and that's where he is. That's where he is heading. He's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world to rise again and make us right with God. And those who believe in him have life in his name, as John 20, 31 says. So we get to John 12, and Jesus is no longer hiding or, or, or shying away from who he is. He's going to let it all hang out. And we see that in the first few sentences, our first uh, chunk of John 12. Put it in the screen behind me. I won't read it, but basically what it is, is that Jesus has just healed Lazarus and raised him from the dead. So they uh, throw a big sort of party or a thank you party, uh, as you do when you raise someone from the dead. Um, you have a party for them. And uh, Jesus is there, and he's served dinner by Lazarus and Lazarus' family. The two sisters are there. Jesus is there, and uh, one of Lazarus' sisters in sentence three, Mary, what she does is she gets um, some extremely expensive perfume, maybe a perfume worth about a year's wages, and she pours it out on Jesus' feet. Now, she doesn't drop just, just one drop of perfume. She pours the whole bottle out on Jesus' feet. And then she uses her hair to clean his dirty, smelly feet. Disgusting. Anyway, she does it. She cleans his feet with her hair after pouring this perfume on. Now, you might think that's a little weird. Why would you do this? That's a little odd to do this. But back in this day, uh, most people wore sandals, so they're fitly very dirty. And when you come to someone's house as a sign of hospitality, you would offer them a bottle of water and then they would wash their feet. What happens here is Mary, though, gets the most expensive bottle of perfume she can find and she pours it all out on Jesus' feet and washes it and then washes his, his hair and cleans it off with her own hair. Now, it seems pretty odd. She doesn't use water. She uses perfume. And in sentence 5, we read of Judas, the one who betrays Jesus. Jesus has been quite angry about this, uh, saying we could have used this money for something else. John records that actually Judas wanted the money for himself because he was taking money out of the treasury. But Jesus responds, responds, and his response is rather surprising. We read that he not only allows this, uh, this, this act from Mary, he actually upholds her for what he's done. He upholds her extravagant devotion to him. Why? What does this show? Well, I think Jesus here knows that this type of devotion, this type of worship that Mary has done for him, is what he's worthy of. This pouring out of, of perfume onto Jesus' feet is a sign to show that he's worthy of this. And rather than Jesus saying, no, Mary, don't do that for me, he's saying, no, that, that's what actually I deserve. Thus Jesus is revealing that he's the Christ, that he's the King, that he's the Son of God, and he deserves this type of, type of extravagant devotion. This pouring out of perfume is also a preparation for Jesus' death and resurrection as the Messiah, but it also shows that he's the King. He's both the King and the Messiah. And this action here shows it. Let me jump to the next uh, block of, uh, of sentences and we see G, uh, John build upon this. This is called the triumphal entry. Sentences 12 to 19. As I said, up until now, Jesus hasn't been, he's been hiding away, not fully yet showing who he is, but now he's going to show everyone who he is. 
sentences 12 to 19. I'm sure you know the story of the Palms and, and Palm Sunday, that sort of stuff. This is where it comes from. We read that Jesus is now entering Jerusalem for the last time. It's during Passover, which is a big, big festival, celebrating how God rescued his people out of slavery back in, uh, back in Egypt days. Uh, and there's a big crowd there as Jesus enters Jerusalem. They've seen the miracles that he's done. Uh, they know that he raised Lazarus from the dead and they're excited. And so they are there on the road. And so what do they do? Well, they treat him like a king. Sentence 13 says, They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They're calling him king. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they've got their, clothes, their, their, their cloaks out on the road. They've got palm uh, branches and they're praising him and saying Hosanna, which means a term of praise, which means really give us salvation, save us. That's a term of praise. And they're greeting him as the king of Israel who saves. In John 6, Jesus, they want to make him king. Jesus says, no, 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 not, not yet. But here, Jesus is, is not only accepting it, but, he, but not allowing it. He's accepting their praise. Uh, the crowd probably fully don't get what, what sort of king he is, but they realize that he is a king and that he is worthy of worship, that he is worthy of devotion. And they are praising him and they are worshiping him and they know that he can bring salvation. And in that moment, they are seeing that he is worthy of being praised, that he is worthy of their adoration. And this is who Jesus is. He's the king. And John's trying to show us here that he is the king. As you know, uh, I, have, uh, I, have, I have three, three kids, Jet, Indian, and Sav, and um, often I feel a little bit sorry for my boy uh, when I go out because he's outnumbered four to one, uh, three to one at home, uh, being the only boy. My girls love to play dress-ups and do dance concerts. That is not what Jet's up for, and he gets quite upset about that. And so when I get home, I often try and play with him. We, we, we play boy games where we wrestle or we, we start to play Nintendo Wii together, and we, we love that. Uh, but as he gets older... Uh, he continually looks to me as someone he, that, who, who he wants to follow. Trying to work out how to be a boy and a man in this world, he looks to me to follow, to be like. And that's hard because I won't always get things right and I know that I'll let him down. At the end of last year, we were on a holiday up the coast and my sister had a friend who uh, worked on the, the Air Force Base, the RAF Base in Williamstown. And so there was an open day there, and so she invited uh, me and my family to go and walk through the raft base. And they had all, everything was opened up, and you could go and look at these F-18 Hornet fly, uh, uh, um, F-18 pi- uh, planes that were amazing. And so you could walk around and look at all the weapons, and, and it was pretty cool. And they said the best part was that there's going to be a flyover where these F-18 Hornets would fly over really low over the base and fly, fly overhead. And I'm like, that's going to be pretty cool. And uh, while, while, just before they said that, or just after they said that, they started handing out these little foam earplugs to everybody. And I saw these earplugs, and I thought, what, what are these for? And uh, they were handing them out, and I even saw the Air Force guys putting them in their ears, getting ready for the fly for the Hornets. And I'm looking and going, how soft are these Air Force guys, right? Like, they're kidding themselves, right? How will these things help? And you don't need them anyway. You just, what's hard about doing this? Huh? Easy. Anyone can do that. And so I thought, you know, I'll just cover my ears, It'll be totally fine when these planes fly over. We're going to be all good with this. And so Jet said to me, should I get them? Like, no, no, don't get them, bud. It's fine. Just, just, just cover your ears. We'll, we'll be fine, thanks. And so, uh, and so we didn't. 
Anyway, so uh, everyone's got the earplugs uh, in, we're going, how silly are they? Anyway, these F-18s come in, you can see them on the horizon, and they are, there's like a squadron of them, they're coming towards us, and they're coming straight overhead, and they're quite low. And you can see them, and, you can, and I could see they were coming closer, the noise was getting louder and louder and louder. I'm like, oh, it's, it's rather, rather loud. And um, <laughs> had, my hands on, had my hands on my ears, I could hear them coming from along, and they were so loud. And as they getting closer and closer and closer, it got louder and louder and louder, and I'm pushing harder and harder on my ears. I'm looking at Jet going, just push harder. And he's, <laughs> and he's, and he's, pushing, he's pushing on his ear, and they go over, and it's so loud, I thought my ear drums were going to burst. It was like the most loudest noise I've ever experienced. And I look at Jet, and he's just in shock looking at me going, <laughs> Why did you tell me this, Dad? Like, why, did you, why didn't you help me out? And we're like, quick, get you plugged them. They're coming back over again and plug them back in again. Um, Jet, Jet will often look at me to follow, and, and, and at points I will let him down, that I'm probably not worth following at some points, as in this case, getting his eardrums to burst almost. But there will be times where I will lead him astray, because in, in that sense, I'm not worth following. In, in, in John 12, we see for the first time Jesus reveals himself as the king who actually is worth following. He's worthy of praise. He's the king of all. He is actually the only one who should be followed as king, as King Jesus. And this is who we are called to follow. This is who we are invited to follow. You know, I often think, we often forget, I think that, that we do and I often do forget just who Jesus is and his majesty, and his power. And we often find ourselves looking for answers, and for hope, and for, and for, and for things to worship, rather than the king alone. Let, let me just remind you of who, who he is, who Jesus is. He is the king of kings, who is real, and who is alive, and who is seated at the right hand of God right now. He is alive right now. He's the one who created the universe, who sustains the world, He's the one who knows everything that is going on in our world and in your life. I love that he says he hasn't even numbered the very hairs on your head. He knows the words that are on your lips before they even come out of your mouth. He's the one who, uh, who is the powerful one who rules over death, who defeated sin and Satan. He's the Lord of all and he is near and he's personal and he is the judge of the living and the dead. And he's the one who, who, who will, will come back one day and every single knee will bow before him. This is the King Jesus. This is the Lord of all. This is the one we follow. And he, is, he alone is worthy of our worship. You know, if you're here today and you're trying to figure out who you live for and you're asking the question, is he worth it? Can I plead with you not to listen to how you feel? or look sideways for answers, or look what's easiest, but rather look at who Jesus is. He's the King of kings. There is no one like him, nor will there ever be. And he wants to know you now and forever. And he alone is worth and worthy of you following and building your life upon. That is who Jesus is. He is the King. He's the one worth following. But secondly, why is he worth following? And what I want to do here, I want to dive into what is he like? Maybe King, but what is he like? Let me take you back to John 12 to try and answer that question. Jesus enters Jerusalem. 
And I don't know if you noticed what sort of the mode of transport that he had as he entered Jerusalem. It seems quite strange here. Look at sentence 14. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. He rode that into Jerusalem. And that must look pretty weird, right? Like everyone's shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise God, praise God, the king is here. And he's riding a donkey, a colt of a donkey. A small, little, not even a horse. It's a half-horse donkey thing, whatever that is. And that's what he's sitting on. It seems so weird. If he is the powerful king, he should have been riding this huge black horse or some sort of mode of transport that is fitting for a king. And the first thing that comes to my mind is like Aladdin, right? Chris will get me on this. Aladdin, right? Uh, you know, the movie Aladdin with Prince Ali? Chris is nodding his head already. You know, it's where, you know, Aladdin becomes Prince Ali and the genie's trying to work out what sort of mode of transport is fitting for this king to come in to show how great he is, even though he's not. And, you know, uh, genie's going with, you know, uh, we need to get some sort of big animal. Let's get an elephant. Let's get the dancers. And let's try and show how important Prince Ali is by his mode of transport as he comes into Agrabah. I have another city, by the way, Agrabah, you know, I got it. His entrance and mode of transport will reflect on what sort of ruler he is and how powerful he truly is. Well, it's the same here with Jesus. Jesus purposely isn't riding a big, powerful military horse because he's not, a, he's not coming as a military leader, as a king. He's not coming to take the Romans down. You know, mostly, most likely some of the crowd want him to be, but, he, but he's not that, not that sort of king. Well, what sort of king is he? Well, sentence 15 says, quoting uh, Zechariah, it says this, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, this is a quote from Zechariah 9, Old Testament, um, before Jesus came, probably about 500 years before Jesus arrived, and it's a quote from, from then. Let me take you there and show you this. Zechariah 9 uh, to 13, 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This passage that speaks of a king coming, it prophesies of a day coming when, when God's king will come, speaks of God's king who will ride on a donkey, not a war horse, because his purpose is not war, his purpose is peace. That's his purpose. And he's humble, and he's gentle, and he's bringing peace. Three things we notice about this king from Zechariah 9. He will bring an end to the war. He will bring peace to a people. He will reign to the ends of the earth. And his arrival will release the prisoners from being captive. This is what this king is like. How is he going to do this? How will he release, uh, bring peace and release the prisoners? Let me jump you down to, back to John 12. 27 to 33, and read what Jesus says uh, to his people. 27 to 33, chapter 12 says this. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said, and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he's going to die. 
as I said in the second half of the book of John, Jesus is going to speak about heading towards the cross. He knows, as he says in sentence 27, that it's coming, and he says, my soul is troubled. But he knows that he's not going to move away from that purpose, because that's why he came. He came actually to die. The king is coming to die. The king has, came, has come to die. And his death brings peace. Why? Because he defeats Satan's hold over this world, as it says in sentence 31. He will defeat the prince of the, of the world, he says. And his death will bring people to himself. Sentence 34. His death will defeat our greatest enemy, sin, Satan, and death. And bring us peace, peace with God, which we are made for. This king is humble. He is gentle. And he is both the king and he's the savior. He's the savior king. That is what he is like. This king has come to die to bring you peace. Peace with God. That is what this king is like. The Savior King. I have a friend, uh, his name is Pete. I grew up with Pete uh, from kindergarten right through to year 12. And uh, um, one of the, the amazing things about Pete is Pete is an incredible sportsman. Uh, he has three brothers, three older brothers, and none of them ever played sport at all. And so I believe that Pete got all the power of his brothers into one. So he got the power of four sports people into one person. And uh, he, was, he never trained, but he was phenomenal. And uh, I honestly believe Pete could have played sport for Australia in any sport he wanted to choose. He was that good at anything he played. And uh, he, he was and is amazing, but now he's a pastor. What a waste. No, I'm just joking. Um, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's amazing. But I heard recently a story about Pete. He... Um, he, he's gone up the coast to be a pastor on the Central Coast and uh, he wanted to play some sport and he played for a while and uh, he turned it to a training session of a rugby team, like a rugby team and, uh, and uh, he said, look, I can't train but I can just play on Saturdays for you if you'd like and Pete is a super humble guy, really quiet, very, very humble and they looked at him and he, I think Pete was a little overweight at that point uh, Pete has an Asian background, rugby's not a really big game in Asia <laughs> And so they said, looked up and down and said, look, mate, all right, play fifth grade. So Pete had no issues. Had, yeah, no worries, sure, I can play fifth grade for you. And uh, they, he turned up to fifth grade and scored like four tries, kicked the ball like 70 metres and, and won, the team, won the game by himself. <laughs> after, that, after that game, they went to him and said, can you just play first grade for us? Don't about training. Just come and play for us, right, straight away. And, uh, and uh, he did. And, and that's what I said. One of the best things about Pete is his humility. Uh, he didn't say how great he was. He just said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And uh, he never talks about his achievements or his skills. You would never know how great he really is. And uh, he's so humble. And, and because of this, you really, really like the guy. I don't know if you ever stopped and thought about Jesus' humility and thought what, what he is like and who he is. So if you take into account his kingship, right, you take into account his power, his rule, his might, his lordship, his kingship. He, he, he is the lord of lords, the king of kings. There is no one greater than him, nor will there ever be. His majesty no one can surpass. And yet he is the one who humbled himself, who put aside his place in heaven and bound, and bound himself to become a baby and entered our mess, entered our world and allowed himself to be killed by the ones he created. At any point, Jesus could have said, this is not going to happen, and called down legions of angels and said, no, I'm out, I'm done. But he didn't. He came and he died on a cross so that we might have life. We might have peace. 
He's the humble king, the saviour king. Philippians 2 puts it this way. It says, Jesus, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to be clinged to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble, humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus is not the king who lords his power and position over us or his kingship over us and says, you must worship me, you must submit to me, you must be my slave. That is not the king we worship. That is not Jesus. No, he humbled himself and served us, his creatures, and dies and becomes our saviour king when we could not save ourselves. And by this king's death, it brings us life. Is that king worth following? Now, again, if, if you're here today and you aren't sure and you're questioning all Jesus and feeling cold, whatever it is, I want to remind you of this Jesus who humbled himself to die for you. And this is what he is like. He is the sa- humble saviour king who knows you, who laid aside his position in heaven for you to give you life and forgiveness and grace. He is worth following. This is Jesus, the humble saviour king. We've seen that Jesus is the king. We've seen that he is the humble saviour king. But find the last question I want to ask you, I want to get to is, how do you follow him? What does it mean to follow him? And we had this question that Rob spoke about before in the video from David Platt. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Let me take you back to John 12 one last time. Jesus is there, it's a Passover time, which I said, celebrating God's rescue from uh, the slaves, from slavery in Egypt, but it's also pointing towards Jesus being the true Passover lamb as well, going forward. And he's just announced himself publicly, publicly as the King and the Messiah. He knows he'll die on the cross. And then we read this in John 12, 20 to 35. Let me read it for you. It says this. Uh, now among them... Uh, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so then these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Peter went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus then answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, he dies. It, rem- it, it, it falls into the earth it, and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Lord, I just want to focus briefly on sentences 23 to 26. Jesus again speaking about this hour, this hour of his death that will come. Then he says in sentence 24, speaking about his death, he says, if a grain falls, it bears much fruit. Like Jesus' death, when he, if he comes and he dies, it bears much fruit. Through his death, it brings us life. That's what he's talking about there. But, track with me on this though, as well. Jesus isn't just speaking here about, he, about himself and his own death. He's also saying here, my dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation. He's saying my, 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 my design for my death is not just for just for salvation, it's also for your imitation, for my followers to follow me, to be like me, to also die. Have that in your mind for a sec. 
He says, if you want to see me, you must truly follow me. You must be prepared to become like me. He talks about, uh, he, he turns to talking about himself and his death as saying, if, follow, if you're a follower, you'll follow me. Look at sentence 25 and 26. He talks about death. He says, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If it unserves me, he must follow me. This idea of dying to yourself, dying to your desires, as it says in, in, uh, in other Gospels. Think about first the, the followers of Jesus, the first followers of Jesus, the disciples. When Jesus meets them, they're ordinary men. What does he say to them? He says, follow me. He says, follow me. And with that, Jesus beckons these men to leave behind what? Their possessions, their professions, their dreams, their ambitions, their families, their friends, their safety and their security. He tells them to abandon everything. If anyone's going to follow me, Jesus says, you're going to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says that repeatedly again and again and again. If you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself, really die to yourself and come. Walk the Calvary road with me. That's what a follower of Jesus is. David Platt says in his book, Follow Me, which is a great read, it says, in a world where everything revolves around self, protect yourself, promote yourself, preserve yourself, attain yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself, Jesus says what? Slay yourself. And that's exactly what happened for the first disciples. According to scripture and tradition, these four fishermen paid a steep price for following Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in Greece. James was beheaded and John was exiled. Yet, they believed it was worth the cost. In Jesus, these men found something worth losing everything for. In Christ, they encountered a love that surpassed comprehension, a satisfaction that superseded circumstances, a purpose that transcended, transcended every other possible pursuit in this world. They eagerly, willingly, and gladly lost their lives in order to know, follow, and proclaim him. In the footsteps of Jesus, these first disciples discovered a path worth giving their lives to tread. See, a follower of Jesus is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening, saving grace, believing in Jesus for forgiveness, then he, then he, conf, uh, then he confirms his or her words, and uh, then they conform his or their uh, ways or words to the ways of Jesus. Just to be really clear here, we are, we are not saved by our obedience or by, by our works. We're saved by Jesus' finished work on the cross for us. We follow Je- then we follow Jesus and become like him. Obedience is a symptom rather than a cause. But Jesus says in John 12, whoever loves his life loses it, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus' call is really, it's a call to come and die so that you might live. It's a call to die so that you would really live and have life to the full. Followers of Jesus follow him. David Platt says this again, and why on earth would we not want to die to ourselves in order to live in Christ? He's worth it. Jesus is worthy of far more than intellectual belief, and there is so much more, more to following Jesus than a monotonous spirituality. There is indescribable joy to be found, deep satisfaction to be felt, and eternal purpose to be fulfilled in dying to ourselves and living for him. I'm convinced that when we take a serious look at what Jesus really meant when he said, follow me, we will discover there is far more pleasure to be experienced in him, indescribably greater power to be realized with him 
and a much higher purpose to be accomplished for him than anything else this world has to offer. And as a result, we will all, every single Christian, eagerly, willingly and gladly lose our lives to know and proclaim Christ, for this is simply what it means to follow him. You know, as a pastor, my job here, biblically, is to help us all to grow and really become and keep being followers of Jesus. And the Bible, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear. You either follow Jesus or you don't. It's two categories, that's it. And really what, what we're going to try and do in this series, I want to show you what Jesus says, not water it down or make it more palatable, but to show you him and his words. And I, I, we're not going to do, I, I'm not up here to shake anyone's faith or assurance, but I also don't want to give anyone a false assurance that they are a follower of Jesus when they aren't. What is, what's at stake is far too big. What I want us to do today, over you know, the next five weeks, is to have a look at our lives and ask the hard question of, am I following Jesus? Am I a follower of him? Now, we are not perfect. We're a work in progress. We still fall short. We still sin. But are we fighting to follow Jesus, dying to ourselves? We will all stand before God on that great and final day. Like Platt was saying in that video at the start, what will he say to you? Those words are terrifying. Away from me, I never knew you. They're terrifying. Are you a follower of Jesus? Eternity is dependent on how you answer that question. If you're sitting there now and feeling like God is prompting you, is calling you, is moving in you to do something, maybe take Jesus seriously for the first time. Maybe you've been cold and God's going, hey, look, move, let's, let's do something, follow me now. I want to encourage you to act. To, don't, to, 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 to listen to the Spirit convicting you. To talk to someone today. Write on your slip, talk to me, do multiply, whatever it is, but I want to encourage you not to leave it, but to do something today, to listen to God's voice, listen to His Spirit prompting you. If you have any questions, write them down. I'd love to talk to you. But we read in the Bible, followers of Jesus follow Him. And the question is, do you follow Him? Are you a follower of Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you that we are saved by grace and your grace alone. And we can do nothing to save ourselves, but through your son's death on the cross that we are, we are forgiven, we are loved. We are children forever. Father, we want to, we want to, think, we want to pray, we would think hard at what it means to be a follower of, of you. For those of us who are feeling convicted, Lord, we want to pray that that word conviction would turn to action. For those who are still not sure, and to pray for comfort and for revealing of who you are. But Lord, we want to be a people who truly do follow you, who die to ourselves daily, who see, who see the greater eternal picture and really live in light of that truth. We want to pray that, that your words this morning will not fall on deaf ears or hard soil that your words would, would penetrate and that would really assess our lives in light of your glory in the cross. 
Lord, help us to act today and do it all for your name. Amen.